0: Engaging Leader, episode 163, Elephant in the Room, a leader's guide to tough conversations, featuring Mike Bechtel. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. All of us have at least somebody that we work with who has an issue that we really need to address. Maybe it's a performance problem, a behavioral issue, or just a piece of spinach stuck in their teeth. But for some reason, we avoid bringing up the topic with them. I think we've all been there. Why don't we bring up that topic? Maybe we're afraid of hurting their feelings or getting a negative reaction, having our helpful intentions misunderstood, or otherwise causing some unintended consequence. So we don't bring it up. And the ignored topic becomes the proverbial elephant in the room that gets bigger over time. Everybody sees it, knows that it's there, but nobody wants to deal with it. And so what happens is it continues to hold back that person's true success and also negatively affects us and others on the team. As leaders, we aren't doing anyone a favor by pretending it doesn't exist. So... How can we address the elephant in a way that we can be confident is more likely to bring about a healthy result? That's where communication expert Dr. Mike Bechtel comes in. You've seen his books in airports and other bookstores for years. His best-known book is People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys. And his newest book is Dealing with the Elephant in the Room, Moving from Tough Conversations to Healthy Communication. It's based on his belief that with the right tools and skills, individuals can learn to negotiate the toughest conversations without intimidation and frustration. Now, I met Mike and his wife, Diane, this past April at a marriage retreat that my wife, Erin, and I were attending. And if you've ever been on one of those type of events, it's usually best as you're getting to know other people to not share what you do for a living. It's I always like to just get to know people make sure we're getting to know each other on a person-to-person basis before that sort of baggage that comes with what a person's job or status might get in the way. For example, I've been on um, retreats and uh, hit it off really well with different people and sort of make a best friend over the retreat and then find out that they're in an occupation that maybe I would have been standoffish with. Uh, I remember one guy was a farmer and another guy was a pastor. And one guy was a doctor. And I probably would have handled those three people differently if I had known all along that was their occupation and they might have similarly handled me differently. And so in the same way, Mike and I were getting to know each other as well as the other people on on this marriage retreat. Obviously, the focus was on our marriage, so we weren't spending that much time with everybody else. But I was clearly connecting with this guy, like really... I just really liked him. I liked the couple and uh, felt like I could talk to him forever. And then we eventually got to sharing about our backgrounds and realized that we're both communication people. <laughs> and uh, Mike has been with a, a senior consultant with Franklin Covey for the past 29 years. He's taught more than 3,000 seminars about productivity and communication. He's done executive coaching and he's written five books in fact, I've seen his books before. I just h- didn't make the connection with the, you know, his name as an author. I haven't ex- hadn't previously read any of his books, but I've seen them in airports and bookshelves. All of a sudden, here when we shared who we were, it's like, oh, no wonder! I, you know, gosh, and I, there's even more we can talk about. So, I was so excited to hear that uh, he had a new book coming out this year and was glad to get my hands on that book, and uh, then we get to talk about it today. So I'm so excited to introduce, if you don't already know him, uh, Dr. Mike Bechtel. Mike Bechtel, welcome to The Engaging Leader.
1: Hey, thanks, Jesse. It's a privilege.
0: Mike, everybody's heard about the elephant in the room. That's just sort of one of those phrases that gets thrown around a lot. Um, It's basically, you know, the things that everybody knows is there, a problem everybody knows is there, but nobody wants to talk about. How does that elephant get in the room in the first place?
1: Well, it comes in when it's little, and that's usually <laughs> the best time to get it out, because it's some little thing, because we have our relationships, and uh, it could be in a business relationship, it's a new hire, and everything is perfect, you're in the honeymoon stage, and then little by little, you start noticing just little things that weren't quite what you thought you signed up for, and over time, it's like, I that, that doesn't feel right, but we don't want to address it because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't want to say anything that's, that's uh, going to be volatile. Or So we tend to just sort of ignore it and say maybe it'll go away. But those kind of things never go away. And that's why if we can address them early, it, they tend to get taken care of. Otherwise, they grow and you have a very large elephant in the room. And nobody wants to talk about it, but everybody knows it's there.
0: Sometimes it seems like it comes in small... Uh, even with someone that you have a long relationship with.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it can happen anytime, even at the beginning of a relationship. But um, with somebody you've that we've worked with for a long time, especially if we have people that work for us and you've got a team that you work with, and it's so easy to get caught up in just the dynamics of what we're trying to accomplish and get things done. But then you've got that one team member and they're a little bit toxic but nobody wants to address it because it's uncomfortable, but everybody knows what's happening in meetings. And so to be able to to deal with that person in an appropriate way, which is probably one to, one-on-one in a safe setting to be able to actually begin to address how they're coming across, that's a great time to start dealing with it. Otherwise it can start taking over and nobody wants to address it. It's been a long-term uh, relationship but it can happen anytime,
0: yeah, that's it seems like the hardest thing is just the fact that history has gone by. And so yeah. I don't I, why didn't you say something two years ago? Why did you let it drag on so long? So where do you how do you get started when you realize like I have to deal with this elephant? I think it's a matter of being honest. Um, I
1: mean, just really straightforward, honest. and it's not. Uh, it's so easy after a while because the emotions build up and we tend to, to start accusing somebody, say, you've got to fix this. Here's what's going on. And that's when they say, why didn't you tell me? But to be able to, to do, always do it in a safe environment, because if you're trying to use logic, when, someone, when there's emotion involved, they don't mix very well. And typically, that's when I'll even take somebody out to lunch and say, hey, I've got something I want to bounce off of you. There's something that's been happening And I don't know if you're aware of how it's coming across, but it's having an impact on some other people. It's having an impact on how people are viewing you. And I want to I just want to bounce that around. Are you okay with that? It's safe and it's more of a relationship kind of thing because it's not something you can legislate. It's not something you can be the boss and tell somebody, "Okay, you need to fix this. I mean, we can, but it's not going to have the same results. But if it's a caring confrontation where we just talk about uh, the broccoli between your teeth, nobody <laughs> wants nobody wants to hear that. But when they tell you, you're grateful, you're embarrassed at the same time. But it gives you a chance to actually
0: do something about it. Wow. What? How do you? I like the way you phrased that just now. Look, can I bounce something off of you? Um, are there other skills or tips to? Make sure it gets off on the right start. And I I like that sort of humble um, approach you took because I guess sometimes I'm worried. One of the things that I think prevents us from dealing with an elephant in the room is the memory of other times when we've confronted somebody and we discovered that uh, we were actually in the wrong or there was some really good reason why that was going on. That We were sort of jumping in with a false assumption and uh, then we get egg all over our face.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest ones is to recognize that when it comes to relationships, uh, efficiency doesn't work very well. <laughs> it works with time management. But when you're trying to get things done, efficiency is great. When it comes to relationships, um, relationships always happen effectively in a crock pot mm-hmm. and not in a microwave. And so to be able to realize this is not going to be something where you go in, you talk about it and you solve it. It's like, we need to diagnose, we need to talk through this. I think a couple of things that would go along with that. one of them is time. Well, probably time and patience together to realize that to really have an impact on anyone, uh, in anyone's life, it's a long process. We're not influenced usually by someone's comment to us, especially like when you're on Facebook, and somebody comes up with their strong opinion about something in politics or whatever, how often do we read that and go, you know what, you are so right. I can't believe that I haven't seen it that way. I'm changing my whole perspective. And it doesn't happen that way. It happens in relationship, where you're with somebody. I mean, I've even, I have a friend that has a construction business. And uh, he said, in that line of work, Everything is done by email because they want a paper trail, because there's usually some kind of a lawsuit happens somewhere in the process of a big construction project. And so he said, and it can get volatile very quickly because people tend to be a little stronger when you're not face to face. And as soon as that email starts to escalate, he has learned to immediately just pick up the phone. He doesn't email back. He picks up the phone or he might even just call him up and say, hey, let's grab lunch. But if he picks up the phone, he says, Hey, hey, tell me what's going on. He says, People are never, no matter how strong they are, they're never as volatile or toxic as they are in, in person as they are when they're in that kind of a conversation. Hmm. So I think that's a big a big part of it. And the second thing I think it goes along is in the midst of that, is to use what I call power listening, that it changes everything when we don't come in with an agenda. We can come in with our ideas afterwards, but it always needs to start with, I want to really understand where you're coming from, just to hear your perspective and not to critique it and not to come back and say, yeah, but I mean, there's a place for that side of it. But when someone people are starved to be listened to, especially in a in a, in a um, in a business context, in a work context, well, actually, in, a, in any relationship. People are so busy talking, we don't spend a lot of time listening. Uh, that's what the news is filled with, is different groups that are presenting their position, trying to convince the other person, the other the other group. But if we can learn how to listen effectively, I think nothing builds trust faster in a relationship than just listening to somebody.
0: So one of the challenges that I've that that jump always jumps into my mind when i see your book cover and when i see it all the time in in airports and stores that's a very popular book is what about uh the that person that is um i i think they're gonna blow up at me or maybe i've even seen them blow up before uh that they're they just don't want to hear a negative feedback if you will
1: yeah. Well, I think some of the things we were talking about apply even more in that case because the, this is a human. Uh, it's a real person. And everybody is has the same basic needs on the inside. We want people to care about us. We want people to like us. Um, we want people to listen to us. And when nobody's listening, we tend to talk more, hoping if I talk more Somebody will listen, so we we kind of broadcast it out there. But in those kind of relationships, in the past, it's been volatile. That's when I especially want to pull away and not deal with something. I've learned almost never to deal with something in the moment, mm. um, unless there's danger involved, which rarely there is. <laughs> right. But in but instead of in the moment, to be able to come back and say, "Hey, can can we grab coffee, or can I come by your office?" and just spend a few minutes with I got something I wanna bounce off of you. Keep it safe, keep, distance it a little bit from the event because the emotion has to cool down. And uh, if I approach it that way with the humility, with listening, especially if in that conversation, to be able to say, you know what, I something just happened over here in this session, in this meeting, and I'd love to get your perspective because I know you felt really strongly about that. I would just love to hear what you say. Then I go in and I listen with the idea of really trying to hear where they're coming from, and that's not the time I'm going to respond. I don't want to get to the end of that conversation and say, well, okay, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Here's, here's my perspective on it. Now, we can do that, but if it's somebody that's volatile, I would rather just listen and say, it's, it's really good for me to hear where you're coming from. I want to process that a little bit. Um, l- let me go back. I, I want to play with this. And let's talk in a couple of days, because then they feel like you have actually listened. In fact, I may even shoot them an email in between and say, hey, you know, you made that one point. I've been thinking about this. Could you just clarify this before we talk? Because then it feels like you're actually listening. We're actually dealing with an issue. It tends to soften everything. I mean, real relationships just change everything.
0: That phrase, let me process that a bit, is one that I actually, uh, I use when I'm in those heated moments and I start to feel my own blood boil so even if it's not necessarily them that is uh, exploding in front of me if, if I'm a little worried about myself my own emotions getting out of control yeah. um, not that you know I may not that I'm gonna blow up on somebody but I may say something in a way that I regret uh, yeah. I well, let me process that a bit and then it gives me a chance to come back, live another day, and and well, come back same, in a better emotional state.
1: Same thing your mom used to, at least my mom used to always say, count <laughs> to 10 before you say something stupid. I always thought she meant, well, count to 10, and then go ahead and say something stupid. But what she <laughs> meant was count to 10, and that gives you a chance to say, do I really want to say this? Because if I say it in this way, is it really going to come across? We've all done that, right? Where you say something and the, you do it with your spouse. The moment you say it, it's kind of like, yeah. okay, I— I wish I hadn't said it that way. And then you apologize and you say, I didn't mean it, but they know you did. And,
0: yeah. um, uh, all the things that go along with it. And similarly, if I, if I don't say, let me process that, uh, I'll just say, yeah, my, my wife, uh, is as an, as a good example. Um, I, you, if I, if I don't really, if I sort of realize I've sort of stepped into a bear trap kind of situation, like. Okay, there's no I can't really say any right thing right now. I'm gonna get in trouble. You know, it's like the <laughs> the guns pointed at me. Um if my, my natural tendency would just be to be quiet, just like just yeah. be silent. But I've learned that silence often simply allows her to come up with a, imagine a worst case scenario. She you know she puts thoughts, she assumes uh yeah. the wrong intent going on mm-hmm. with me. And so when sure. I say that little just that little <clears throat> Verbal cue that you provided there. Let me process that a bit, and let's get back together. Um, and it's it, and that's not a lie. I you know I need to. I'm not just letting myself cool down, but it's I'm, I'm allowing myself to uh, get a better perspective and to think about what I've learned so far in that interaction, and then come back and they they feel like they they've, they've been listened to.
1: You know I think well I and I think it's not just that they feel that they've been listened to. You they actually have been listened to. Yes. And I think that's why there's nothing wrong with letting someone know that you're having a strong emotion, um, but it's what we do with it. If I lash out, I'll probably say things I regret, but to be able to say, I need just a little bit of time, number one, because I'm feeling really strongly. I, I'm feeling, I mean, it sounds trite, but I'm feeling anger. I'm, I'm feeling angry right now and just, and I don't wanna say something that would hurt you because I care about you. You know, I could do that in a business context too it's not touchy feely. It's just real. It says, you know what? I care about you as an employee. I care about you as a team member. I need to, I need to process a little bit because this is really frustrating me or or I'm feeling frustrated as because of this. I I, want to make sure that I'm clear and accurate in what I say. So, um, can we take a break and come back and just, let's come back here in just a few minutes or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's real, because they, they know you're upset. Yeah. And so th- that's the elephant in the room. They know that you're upset, but you're trying to <laughs> pretend you're not. <laughs> that's it's, right. So just to be able to say, you know, I, it, I, I'm feeling frustrated right now with this whole thing. I, I need I need a little bit of space because I want to come back and do this fairly. Because emotion always trumps logic. Mm-hmm. And when you try and bring up the logic during the emotion, then it's like putting gasoline on the fire.
0: So let's go back to that earlier example where you're you're talking with someone that you're afraid is going to explode on you. That's you, you've let this elephant get too big because you're basically afraid of their reaction. Yeah. And so you let them talk, and and they've they've uh, and maybe they're on borderline emotionally explosive, or they they really do start kind of losing their temper. So you say, okay, let me process that a bit. Let's get back together in a couple of days. So now I, I can. On the one hand, I feel like, okay, that's brilliant, Mike. On the other hand, I feel like, okay, now I've just built up this pressure. Up for I've got two days to really, you know, make this next interaction succeed. <laughs> what do you do when you walk into that second second conversation?
1: You know what? I think if you do the first one right, it makes it easier in the second one because you're treating them like a real person. That's where it deescalates. escalates is because usually we have the first one, it tends to be intense. And so if we're going to follow it up, it's like, it stays intense and goes through the next couple of days. But if I can diffuse it a little bit right there in that first time by just caring, by listening, by treating them the golden rule, the way I would like to be treated, treat others the way you want them to treat you. It's like, that's, that's real. And to be able to, to do it in that setting at the same time, to recognize there's no guarantees. I can't, change that other person, they may be volatile, it has may have nothing to do with me. But I can't control them, I can control my part of that conversation. And if I can set my own boundaries, and I can, I can be truthful, I can be humble, I can be honest in that they may get upset, I don't have to respond in the same way. If I keep control, it's almost like when when somebody is angry, it's real easy to be angry back. And mm-hmm. it, it tends to escalate, but if you 're angry at me and I respond without anger, if i 'm just talking it 's going to be real hard it's going to be awkward for you to stay angry so there's more of an influence kind of thing, but I, but there's no guarantees. Um, they may get upset. I have to be ready for that because it could just be who they are in terms of how they've the tools that they have. Uh, to that they grew up with. I mean, it's one of the things we talk about in the book is that uh, we, the way we handle life, is the tools we were given, good or bad. Sometimes those tools are effective. Sometimes they're not. We get new tools all the way along. If this one doesn't work, we tend to get try what. What can I find that'll work? But we tend to go back to those default settings. Whatever we saw growing up, um, when we're under pressure, that's what tends to come out. So it could just be them. It's like. Um, I have to stay on my side of the tennis court. They're on their side. I can't be responsible for what they do. It could escalate, but the chances of it happening are going to be smaller if I approach it right at the beginning.
0: So the I like the perspective that you you, you shared early about the, the the broccoli in your in the teeth, where you um, if nothing else, you're making sure that the person can know about the broccoli. You're just giving them some transparent feedback and uh, they can take what what they will because you're not doing anybody a favor if you let that poor soul go around with broccoli in their teeth all day. Yeah. At some point, they're going to discover it and they're going to be embarrassed. I just went all day or I went all day with my zipper down and nobody told me. (laughs) You didn't tell me. (laughs) Well, it's true.
1: And I think it was uh, Ken Blanchard, One Minute Manager, that says the um, feedback is the breakfast of champions that there's nothing that will help us grow more than really seeing an accurate picture. And we don't like it. And sometimes people give us feedback. We have to decide what we're going to do with it. It may not even be accurate, but we're getting their perspective. Somebody says if one person tells you you're a horse, just ignore it. If 10 people tell you you're a horse, buy a saddle. (laughs) So when we start seeing other people's perspective, it's like walking by a mirror and suddenly you see yourself in a whole different way. But the higher you go in an organization, the harder it is to get feedback. You know, when you're brand new, everybody tells you what you should be doing and and critiques you. But when you're the CEO, um, there's not too many people that have been there for a month that go to the CEO and say, you know what, I've been watching you. I think there's some things you need to work on. Um, That can be a career ender. And so it's real hard. We have to be humble enough to seek out feedback from others for those kind of things.
0: Another question that that hits me when I think of the term the elephant in the room is where it's a repeat offender. Like, you know, the the elephant uh I've I've told you about the elephant before. Maybe I've told you a half a dozen times and it keeps coming back and then the longer I don't say anything, it grows. Do you have any tips in that type of situation?
1: You know what? That's that's almost like putting somebody on a uh, on a performance plan because there comes a point where, in a in a business setting especially, that we do have to make some choices. Uh, in a personal relationship, is a little different. Uh, you can't take your two year old and say, you know what, things aren't going well here. You're just not responding the way we'd like you to. Uh, we're having a yard sale. You know, be dressed. And and it's to be able to uh, to work with somebody long term. Uh, there is a time in a in a business context where if they're not coming around, we may need to make some choices about it. In other, in personal relationships, though, um, it usually it, there's kind of a two-step process. It's like, first of all, actually a three-step process. Can I change what the other person's doing? And I can influence them. I can talk to them. I can do whatever I want. They may choose not to change. That leads me to the second choice I can make, which is, can I live with this? Can I change the way I'm responding? Can I keep it from eating me alive all the time that I'm with them? And if I can't, there may be a a time, especially in a business context, when we need to find a new way to, to structure that relationship. And maybe it means they're gonna work for somebody else or we're not gonna be in the same kind of relationship. I'm not gonna go there in a personal relationship because I don't. it's too easy to just jump ship when things get rough. But it's like the more commitment there is, the more valuable relationship, is the more I want to go after it and I work on it.
0: That's, that's good advice. I was also thinking about what, in a work situation, you got someone on your team and there's a performance issue. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not really a deal breaker, though. You know, it's, it's worth, And it, when, you, when you tell them about it, then they fix it for a while and then it comes back. Um, so it's like you can manage the elephant. And uh, is, is there any tips in... But if you don't say anything, you know they're gonna sh- they're gonna show up to lunch every day with the broccoli in their teeth, I guess. And you gotta just say like the broccoli's in your teeth again. Uh, yeah. I'll g- I'll give you a, a, an exact example, and um, this is a uh, one of the one of the folks on our team, and I'm good friends with them, so I don't think you mind me sharing uh, this. And uh, and I have my own faults, but it's easier to see other people's faults, so I'll tell you the story. <laughs> but just uh, somebody who tends to. Um, talk too much in any given, uh, never lets there be any silence and so doesn't listen enough to what uh, others have to say or learn about the situation enough because it's too busy telling stories and, and just a little bit. And he, you know, he says he's actually like a little bit afraid to let there be a pause. So he's, he just wants to yeah. fill that pause. So, yeah. and you know we've brought that up a, a, a few times, um, but am I So in any given situation, how do you deal with that kind of elephant without sort of being really annoying, I guess?
1: You know, and I had the exact same situation, just a group of, of, uh, of people that get together that we do, we get together on a regular basis. It's actually my wife and I and and several other couples. And there's one person who is the extrovert in the group (laughs) and he tells stories uh, because he travels the world and he's involved with people, and they're good stories. Because anything that comes up, he has a he has a story for it. Yeah. And finally, it got to the place where one of the other guys in the group told me. He said, "I'm going to have to go talk to so and so because uh, he just frustrates me. He just he talks all the time. Nobody else. It's supposed to be a place where we can share. It just <laughs> he doesn't let him do it. And I said, you know what? Let, let, let me let me just see if I can connect with him. So I did what we talked about earlier. I just said, hey, can we grab coffee? I got something I want to bounce off of you. Well, he was a little suspicious right away because to say, when you say, I have something I want to bounce off of you, most of (laughs) our first impression is, what did I do wrong? Is it about me? Um, It's like when my wife says, we need to talk. (laughs) And So I I went out and had coffee with him and I said, okay, I, I want to tell you what's going on. And here is, when this happens... I think here's your motives because you just have so much to share and you have so many good things and they really are good. But when you share in response to every question that comes up and you have a story for each one, then everyone else doesn't get to share. And so they feel like they don't have a chance to, to bring their perspective in. So nobody feels listened to uh, because Uh, In a sense, it feels like you're monopolizing and it's just frustrating other people. So I'm affirming their motives. I mean, what they have is so good to say, but they don't like the pauses. And so I said, you know, when when somebody brings something up, if no one shares, that doesn't mean that you need to jump in. It means probably the others are thinking, especially if you have introverts, Mm. because they need to hear something. They process for a bit then they will share. So you've got to give him that space. And uh, he, he started doing better. And then once in a while, he would just look at me in the group. And, and I never brought it up again. I didn't come back to him because we had that conversation. He's an adult. I don't want to be his caretaker or I don't want him to be responsible for me. But sometimes in the meeting, it would get quiet <laughs> and he'll just look at me as if... <laughs> and, and, and I go. Um, I just kind of give him a thumbs up, and he'll even say, "He says, okay, I'm trying to be quiet, you know." And and you know, again, it's it's a matter of just being honest. I think it's so much of it goes back to just really caring about someone enough that we want to have to let them see it. It takes some real courage to to give people that kind of feedback, uh, but if we do it, if they sense the caring that's underneath it. We're not doing it because we're frustrated. We're doing it because it's going to help them. And it's not, you know, there's something, there's the broccoli, they don't know
0: about it. And I want to to keep, you know, making that happen. Mm-hmm. So so if you, if you, if he, if he didn't, I mean, if he responded there, okay, for a while, and then sort of forgot and fell back into it, how, how would you broach the topic for the, on the, you know, the third time? Like, hey, buddy, you know. Remember that I, thing I, we talked about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have to take him out to coffee, but because we had a caring conversation the first time, he knows that I care. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, can, um, I can probably go back and say, remember when we talked a few weeks ago, how are you feeling about, about the way things are going right now? Are you feeling like it's going any better or whatever? And inevitably, if it came across the caring way, he's going to say, well, what do you think? Mm. How has that been going? And I'll say, it's going a lot better. There was a couple times that last time that it's still easy for you to 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 jump in. I think the first meeting sets the tone for being able to go back, and then it doesn't have to be a formal thing. It's just like, hey, I, the, I, I don't know if you know that broccoli's back in your teeth. Uh, just just want you to know. Now it's what you do with it, mm-hmm. uh, but just know that it's there.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay. Another question is, it seems like um, a lot of the, the, it's hugely helpful when dealing with the elephant in the room to get to a one-on-one uh, face-to-face conversation, go out to lunch together, make sure you got plenty of time. What do you do in the situations where it's a long distance relationship? Maybe you have a, you know, a team that's spread across the country and you're, you're only going to see this person once every year or so. What do you do there when it's a purely electronic kind of relationship most of the time? Um,
1: and something's happening during a meeting or just in general.
0: Yeah. Like, okay. I just, I me. Mean, uh, an illustration might be, you've got a team and you've, uh, where you, you, you have, let's say weekly conference calls for d- different projects. Okay. And so the, 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 you see the behavior c- that comes up, that's become the elephant in the room. Maybe it's a guy that's talking too much just to stay, stick with that example. Yeah. And so, um, how do you, you, you got the guy, uh, you're in California and he's in Florida and, uh, you, 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 want to let him know about the broccoli in his teeth, the fact that he's monopolizing conversations. You can't even give him a, you know, the right uh, visual cues by looking at him a certain way. <laughs>
1: um, you know what? I think honestly, that's when I'll just set up a one on one, just a Skype call. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not ideal, but I would rather do it with some visual contact through Skype or Zoom or something else. And, um, I do that all the time. I've got I'm on video calls a lot during the day, but sometimes it's a phone call. But if it's a conference call and we're talking on the phone, I'll jump in and uh, maybe at the end say, hey, do you have a few minutes afterwards that we can just connect or uh, even put it on their schedule? Say, I just want 15 minutes with you. Let's jump on a a Skype call. Let's jump on a Zoom call so that we can we can talk is something I want to bounce off you there. I'll do the same thing, but we can't have coffee. But I want to see their eyes. There's something that happens differently. I've discovered if I sit in somebody's office, it changes the relationship. And so I have been trying with some of the clients that I work with not to just be on the phone with them. I'll find some way to show up, even just once, because it changes the phone calls after that, if you've had that, that kind of connection. So Skype is the second choice. Face-to-face is first choice. If I have to do it by phone, I'll just have the conversation you're missing all the visual cues. You don't see the body language. You don't see them rolling their eyes. Um, the stuff that goes along with it. And so, you know, it's, none of it's ideal, but I'm still going to go back to that. Let's do it one-on-one.
0: Mike, if you had to leave people with one takeaway from maybe this book, as well as all your other books on communication, when, and if there's any kind of overarching theme, what would that be?
1: You know, Jesse, I think the biggest thing is that you can't change somebody else. I can influence them. But if I'm waiting for someone else to change, the chances of them changing is pretty slim. I mean, think how hard it is to change ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I try and work on my habits. I try and want to do something different. It's so hard to make any kind of real change in my own life to think we can actually change somebody else because we feel like we have a set point. And if. If they mess with that set point because they're making me uncomfortable, then uh, they need to change. But really, it's not a matter of them being the one who needs to change. I only have responsibility for me. I can't change another person. I can influence them. Uh, It'll be nice if they would. They probably will work a little differently. But all that I really have control over is myself.
0: That's a very good perspective. I can see how it would affect the lens that you have as you view every single interaction as you view this conversation you need to have with someone about the elephant in the room, yeah, uh, as you were talking, I was just imagining myself uh yeah i've I've had to work really hard to manage my my weight and um and so I've had a few times in my life where I put on a lot of uh a lot of weight, and so there's people that saw me you know you used to know me uh, in my younger days as relatively slim and fit. And then now here I am, let's say 50 pounds heavier. That's going to be the elephant in the room, right? Cause you know what that's like. You, you haven't seen this person since they were, all of a sudden they're big and they mm-hmm. could have a conversation with me. And yet we all know how difficult that can be to change your habits and get to a healthy weight. So to, to, for them to expect me just to change on a dime, uh, no matter what brilliant thing they have to tell me is not realistic. And, uh, that, so yeah. I can see how Keeping that sort of picture in mind as I walk in as I walk into these other difficult, tough conversation situations would be really helpful.
1: Well, think about people going to their high school reunion. What what does everyone want to do? They want to lose weight. Yeah. Because they want to be remembered the way they were when they were in high school 40 years ago. And it's not going to happen in the same way. But you're right.
0: Well, the book again is dealing with the elephant in the room, moving from tough conversations to Healthy communication. Mike, where can people find out more about this book, get their hands on it, and find out more about you and your work?
1: Um, the book is available anywhere that you can find books. It's in a lot of airport bookstores and, and uh, sometimes at Costco and a lot of places where you just find those stands of books. Uh, Amazon, of course. Um, and then my website is just my name, Mike Bechtel. And I think you'll probably have it uh, available there so they can find it. But uh, mikebechtel.com, B-E-C-H-T-L-E. And um, just doing a new website coming up soon. And so, it'll, it'll be uh, easy to navigate and find those kind of things.
0: And we'll put all that information in our show notes as well. Um, are you on? And you're on both Twitter and LinkedIn, just Mike Bechtel mm-hmm. is how people can find you. Right. Terrific. Well, Mike, it's been so fun to talk to you today. Uh, Aaron and I just love hanging out with you and Diane um, and uh, love your books. Keep up the good work and thanks for being on the show. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. It's always a privilege. All right, Engagers. Well, I am sure you can tell why I connected so well with Mike, why I, I just liked him so much, uh, and why I trusted so much of what he was saying about communication and leadership. Um, he obviously has tons and tons of experience. Um and just a natural ability with communication and influence and leadership. And is just an all-around nice guy. I mean, he's so, he's a, he and his wife, Diane, are a delight to hang out with. So uh, obviously, we can only touch a little bit of what the, the book is about. I encourage you to get the book yourself. Uh, it's available all over the place, um, especially after I met Mike. I just started seeing his book everywhere I went. And uh, we'll put the links on our show notes if you want to just get it from Amazon um, or other online bookstores or just catch it at the airport or at any bookstore. You'll, you'll see it all, uh, all over the place, I, I guarantee it. And, of course, his most famous book is People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys. So pick up that one as well. And you can find our show notes on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 163 as in episode 163. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. In several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.